your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me here in studio on this Friday is my good buddy, Kevin Woodley. Kevin, what's going on, man? Playoffs are going on, man. That's right. It's the best time of year. There we go. Did you do your, um, we haven't had a chance to talk about this, did you do your prep? before the playoffs started on goalies tendencies and where they can be beaten. Yeah. You know what? A um, little bit of a miscommunication. It started. I got in pretty deep. Um, Who'd you do the most work on? That I found out that we weren't going to run it in the first round because it's just too much volume yeah. and it gets lost on the site. So we're going to start in the second round, which uh, honestly, I don't think I can do all that work between the first and the second round. Right, right, so right. I had, it's a good thing I got the head start. So, um, Deepest dives, uh, I was trying to think of the guys I got completely through. Um, both goalies in the Tampa-Toronto series, uh, Vasi and, and Samsonov, uh, Shishterkin and Vanacek. Um, got through Georgiev in Colorado. Um, a couple other guys I'm trying okay, to Okay, well, we'll talk about all those guys. We'll take them one by one. We got through about seven or eight To guys. start here, though, I'm going to yeah. give you this. I was telling this right before we started. In preparation for today's show, I always try to try to at least bring some sort of nuggets so that I can hang with you for a little bit before you just you blow past me when you started talking about techniques and the way you're hanging against no, the not, post. Not blow and, past you, just basically use a bunch of phrases. That yeah, yeah, else a lot understands. of stuff. Where I'm like, all right, this sounds really cool and technical. I'm going to take Evan's word for it. But That's I'm going to I'm going to start us off here and at least move us in the right direction. All right. So there's been 99 goals so far in the first week of the NHL postseason this year. Okay. Scored on goalies, not including empty netters. 27 of those goals, the most, have been scored off the rush or on shots in alone, one-on-one. Like, there's an example that I counted in that statistic where uh, Florida got, like, kind of like a little forecheck, and I think it was Sam Bennett was in alone against Elmark, and it was basically a one-on-one. It was like a it was like a half court breakaway as opposed to like a, a proper rush one. Okay, but so there was so no defense in front of him. It's it was, already in zone and it's one. It's already in zone, there. but it was like a breakdown where he was just by himself. And, okay, and interestingly enough, like that—that's a separate category for breakaways for clear sight. Yeah, like that's still counted as a breakaway in that situation, but it's but, actually a separate category from say blue line in off the. Rush. Would you expect that to have a lo- lesser chance of being of resulting in a goal than a rush breakaway where the goalie has a longer time to prepare for it, or how how would you? In terms of like the difficulty of a save for a goalie, obviously the level of shooter and and there's various other factors that go into it. But in terms of the preparation time, where you see a guy coming in from center ice and you're like, all right, it's just gonna be me versus him versus a breakdown. In the obviously, zone. there's other factors like how tight does he catch that puck? Right. Um, does the opportunity like is there a pass that leads to it that forces me to go one way first and he has the opportunity to sort of go against the grain on me and cut back the other way? So things like that. Um, but without being able to pull the numbers up uh, in in this sort of quick notice, my hunch is those end zone breakaways are tougher because there is less time yeah, to set up for and sure. Pair as opposed to s- seeing what's coming at you and being able to anticipate and read that. Well, I would think that as well, and, I, and I'll, I'll circle back to in a second. Twenty one of the goals, next highest volume, is off rebounds. Nineteen off deflections, tip ins, or redirections. 18 off of pre-shot movement shots, mostly one-timers, where it was either, I counted those as either lateral ones, uh, east-west, most typically, like across the zone. Uh, think of the basically like the first one that was scored in the postseason where Brent Burns fires at cross ice to Sebastian Ajo, gets, gets Sorokin moving, beats him that way, or ones from behind the net, um, typically on the power play where you're setting up and you're trying to get it into the bumper. Only 14 so far I counted as clean shots that I'd say 
that were just fourteen, fourteen okay, out of, of the ninety nine, where and 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 clean in the sense like there was, I counted the one where um, Ryan Pulak scored on on Ranta and, and and I counted it as clean because there was like no screen, no tip, but it was took a kind of a weird bounce and I don't even understand. I've watched it ten times and I still don't understand how it went through Ranta, um, but the point I'm trying to illustrate here is. It's what we've been talking about all season, you and I. It's, yeah, it's, you, you, it's offense. Like there, in, mistakes happen. You beat goalies clean every once in a while. It's Some almost goalies more than others, but it nine times out of ten, or probably closer to like ninety six out of a hundred, or actually probably ninety eight, ninety nine out of hundred, clear sighted shots are a turnover. Well, and the other, the other thing there is, I think you can count on one hand the number of goals that have been sco- scored so far, where it came from like sustained offensive zone pressure, where the team had the puck for longer than five seconds even if they were passing it around and, and, and having movement. Like, it's the amount that comes from off the forecheck, quick chance that way, or off the rush, or, like, broken plays where the puck's bouncing and broken all of a sudden you can't prepare huge. for it. Yeah. Like, that's almost accounts for the entirety of goals. Like, the number of times, and I think being a good cycle team and generating chances and getting the puck below the goal line and operating from there certainly can pay dividends, and, and you can create chances that way. But for the most part, it almost feels like you, you need to have that quick attack element of surprise where everyone is unable to sort of get set in a defensive position. Otherwise, it's it's been almost impossible to score. Well, it's, I mean, we talk about everyone getting set in a defensive posture. Like, it's the same thing for a goaltender, yeah. right? If you allow a goaltender to get set and square and have clear sight on the puck, and especially if there, there is no other threat, like if they can isolate on a shooter as opposed to having to worry about a guy in the back door or, you know, trusting their defense that they don't have to worry about that guy in the back door, I mean, it's night and day, right? Like, it's it's night and day. And that's why all these different things, why low slot line plays, goals off, and, and attempts at have gone up by over 40% over the past five years because teams recognize that um, the old ways of scoring goals just typically aren't going to result in as many goals as you think. Yeah, certainly. I mean, and, and the remarkable thing is half of those clean shots I counted are accounted for by Vasilevsky and Vanacek, just two guys. Um, like a Jake Ottinger, I don't think in the first two games has allowed a single one. It's been all off the rush where they like literally had breakaways or like a Kaprizov tip in on the power play, uh, rebounds off the rush. Like it's been the Wild have had a tough time of beating him cleanly, and and, and this is this is doing nothing to like help um, slow down my love for. Jake Ottinger, I feel like last time we were talking, we were talking about goalies that are reliable and ones we trust in these types of settings and and predictability of their performance. I added Jake Ottinger, mind you were like, ho, 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 Let, I need to see more. And you gave me the cautionary tale of Thatcher Demko and how we thought about him a year ago compared to now and how things can change quickly in the NHL landscape. But watching Jake Ottinger play, it's yeah, I'm, it's done I'm, nothing to dissuade me from, from no, putting I, him in that tier. I'm a huge fan of Jake Ottinger. I think he's a legit number one. And at such a young age to establish yourself as a number one goaltender is, is really impressive. I'm still, even on the adjusted numbers on the season as a whole, yeah. like we're not into the stratosphere, even, even in a down year of Shesterkin, like we're, we're a full half, half a point below that. Um, so I think there, that's a pretty good environment, too. Mm-hmm. Has been, was when he arrived, uh, has maintained to this point under DeBoer. Uh, I talked about that. You know, like As much as they've freed them up offensively, they still have that in their DNA, the right. understanding of what it takes to defend. I think you're seeing that in the playoffs as well. And I'm really kind of curious to see, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, um, how Jake plays here the rest of this series coming off that five-overtime monster uh, in, in game one. 
and sort of juxtaposing it to especially tonight in game three. Yeah, with Gustafson getting that Gustafson night off. Gustafson coming back yeah. after the night off. And and also, I mean, at the end of the day, it won't matter if the Wild play. It, it won't matter if the Wild play. Like, the Wild, like, as good as Gustafson was in game one, like, his goal, like, he saved a goal and a half. Yeah. Relative. Like, they're, they gave up in five periods, three and a half expected goals. In two periods in front of Fleury, they were well over four. Well, yeah, I mean, and, yeah, they did not show up. No, and they, won, two, and, 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 and missing, they didn't have Hartman, they didn't have Erickson, like for sure. Now. And I wonder how much of that decision was, you know, our guy saw, saw 52 five periods in one of the toughest buildings to play in as a goaltender in terms of heat and ice quality. And this is what we've got in front of him, and we want him fresh in three as opposed to does the other team end up with diminishing returns? Yeah. I will say that, you know, a lot of the – it's tough to blame Flurry for – the loss certainly and the seven goals they gave up the two low percentage goals hurt the two low percentage goals hurt and also i don't think like the way he played them does any does him any favors you know what i mean like the, the even though check always looks terrible when it the pocheck looks terrible the 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 rush goal on the power play that jamie ben scored where rupa hands comes into his speed and gives it to him and he just like may as well have been shooting Frozen. on a shooting on yeah. a shoot, shooter tutor right it yeah. was like just slide it through there he didn't even react to it I think that grades out as a high danger chance because it's like a rush shot from the circle, basically. It's but at the hands. same time, where it looks, it's like that's probably one where you could have played that better, I think, or at least gave a better effort on it. Um, but I'm curious for your take on the Gustafson thing because you and I have spoken plenty about goalie rotations, wanting to see it when it matters most, talking about how the Kings did it towards the end of the regular season. We've talked specifically about last year, towards the end of the year, how the Wild handled Flurry and Talbot. Um, you know, Dean Everson got a lot of uh, flack, I think, for for the decision to to do so in Game Two and playing Flurry. Yeah. I yesterday gave a um, a tepid defense of him. I rarely defend coaching decisions uh, on this show, but I, I just thought the logic made sense. Like I think they probably watched they watched the tape after Game One and saw what was happening in the game, the direction it was headed, probably found out Hartman wasn't going to play. And they were like, you know what? Let's live to fight another day. And I think that had more so to do with just strictly having some sort of a rotation where I don't, no matter what happens in game three, I would expect Gustafson to play game four. Well, again, like, there's two parts to this, especially because Flurry struggled in game two. But the other part to remember, like Gustafson, and I've talked about this since November, Gustafson, his adjusted numbers have been off the chart all season. Yes. He's the only guy in the league with the adjusted save percentage that is not quite like it's, you got to go a couple decimal points down before there's separation, but it's essentially the same as Linus Hallmark. Mm-hmm. He's the only guy in the league. Yeah. But like since mid December, when I ran those numbers, Flurry's right there with him. Right. Like Flurry was really good down the stretch. You didn't get that in game two, but this was like right up till like a late season start and I don't know what they had in the ro- in the roster like Fleury had a real bad hiccup at the end of the year so unless you thought that was a sign of things to come everything over the past two months they've been equal hmm. and so uh, and listen like five periods I know a goaltender this season and he told me this and I haven't had a chance to check with him on whether it was supposed to be on the record or off so I'm not I'm going to leave a name out of it but I know a goaltender this season who played three periods a five-minute overtime, and a shootout in Los Angeles in the spring and lost 19 pounds of fluid. 19 pounds. Five periods in Dallas? Like, it, it's what does that do to you? And Dallas is a worse rink in terms of heat and humidity and what it does to goaltenders. I had this discussion with yep. many over the years. So um, 
the wild aren't going to say that that's why we probably won't find out till after yeah i have some inclinations based on some messages exchanged that 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 was a part of it but um like 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 it makes a ton of sense and here's the point it's really easy to pile on this decision right now but and the and the interesting juxtaposition here is is because they're going away from flurry I can make arguments in each of the past two seasons that tandems involving Flurry, where they stuck with him rather than continuing a rotation, cost a team in the playoffs. Right. Including Minnesota last year not going to Talvin until game six because the time it's not just like, oh, it's the pressure of an elimination game by the time you get to him. He hasn't played in two weeks. Right. That's the problem. It was the same with Robin Lehner and Marc Andre Flurry in Vegas. I think if you gave DeBoer true serum, he, even though they got past, ironically, Minnesota in that series, largely because of Fleury's play in the yep. first four games, he was done. Yep. His his play rapidly fell off. You had to give away a game against Colorado by playing Laner because Laner hadn't played in two weeks and he was average, and the team wasn't good either. They were they were tired, but like there are reasons this makes sense. There are reasons it never happens because of the reaction we're seeing of right course. now. Everybody points out that it failed. Nobody points out the, the times it failed the other way because you didn't use it. I think it also, just the fact that Gustafson had such a remarkable regular season when he played, right? He only played the 38 games or whatever, but as you mentioned, like, how much his adjusted that, numbers were How great. much of that is in part because he only played 38 games? No, of course, but what I'm saying is that also, like, when a guy has those types of numbers, and then when you see Flurry kind of flopping around and things going bad in game two, I think from the optical perspective, uh, that's why it also... But understand that wasn't how Marc-Andre Flurry played for two and a half months. Yeah. He matched or was just below those adjusted numbers, basically from mid-December on. Here's my question for you, though, because I, I don't think we've heard from Dean Everson. I think, said that they kind of told both guys in the day in the day between games, right, that they were going to do that. Right. I don't, I'm even though they alternated throughout the regular season, I imagine the way game one transpired, how long it took, the workload played into the decision. I think if it was an easier game one, I don't think they would have stuck to a rotation. I think they would have just gone back to Gustafson. Fair. He saved whatever 50-plus shots. He faced 114 shot attempts in that game. And you and I have also spoken about, like, that is almost a bigger indicator of of fatigue or workload than the number of shots that actually hit you because you have to prepare yourself for each one of those times when the other team winds up to shoot. And the, the question I have for you is, if they did go back and watch the tape after game one, do you think there's an element of, like, watching especially the overtimes and potentially seeing little indicators in technique or in performance or in the saves, even though he did stop all the shots, they would be like, all right, we were potentially worried about whether it's injury because of workload or whether it is efficiency dipping because of the workload that made that decision for them. Or do you think it was purely like, all right, he played five periods. That's too much. I, I don't, I, at the end of the day, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I like, I will find out after. Nobody's going to talk right now. Yeah. And like I said, I've, I've got some indications on, on some of these things. But um, it's it, it's also history too, right? Like, um, you know, like how he's handled higher workloads to this point. And again, like nothing, like like five periods. Like, like you said, Jake Ottinger hasn't been beaten on clean shots. But relative to expected, Jake Ottinger's numbers in Game 2 dropped off a cliff compared to the first game in terms of save percentage. And they were good chances. But, like, he was he was subbed by a goal and a half in that game. Ottinger so was. Wow. He, coming off of a five-period game. So let's see what happens over the rest of this series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's something to watch for. I, don't, I wouldn't blame him for any of those. 
See, and listen, I'm biased, right? Like, this is hey, this was my pet project for years, yes. right? So obviously, I'm like, I'm a hundred percent gonna like be like, I totally support this still, right? Um, because I do think it can work, and I've had conversations. With, it's funny because some people laugh at the possibility. I I come back to the Vancouver one, right? Like, they go into Boston in 2011 and get steamrolled for two games, and Luongo isn't himself. Yep. They come back in Game Five and he pitches a shutout, and nobody's going to suggest at that point coming off a shutout victory in game five that you do anything other than play Roberto Luongo in game six in hindsight was that the right decision what, what was your thinking on it at the time I, I this is long before I was digging into this at this level yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was the same as everyone else yeah you're like oh, I was, right, I was the same hand. as everyone on a hot hand, hot yeah, hand. Yeah. forget about fatigue forget about anything like it's just hot hand like let's not take a longer term view of this right. and at the end of the day at the end of the day much like this Minnesota game if your team gets outplayed by that wide a margin because you're missing a Hartman and an, and an Eck, then, you know, if I, if I juxtapose Gustafson's, even if he maintains the same level he had in game one, plug that into what he, what Flurry faced in game two, they still lose that game five, three. Okay. Here's my question for you, because I think every single pro athlete and every single player that's made it to the NHL is going to want to, play as much as possible right like if you give, if you leave it to the player if you leave it to any goalie they're gonna be like yeah i'm good Let, like put me back out there right but i think that part of the reason why i think people say that oh you can't kind of tinker with goalies in this way with a rotation when it matters most because you know you're messing with their confidence like it's just like you're messing with the rhythm you're throwing that off i would argue though if you have like clear communication and you have a plan and you're executing that plan i think i don't understand why that would mess with confidence, right? If you're heading into it and you're like, all right, listen, this is our plan. This is how we're going to use you guys. You're going to play this night. You can prepare for it accordingly. I think if anything, that would put a goalie in a better headspace to perform when he's given that opportunity. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, at the end of the day, um, do we know, like you said, they told them the day before. That's what, that's what Dean Everson said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. So well, just, and you would, again, like you, you would think if there's one guy that has the experience to manage it and handle it, it would be flower. And yet he, he honestly looked like he was trying too hard. And so maybe this situation, maybe, maybe rather than work the way it's supposed to work, which is to remove all the extra pressure because you're in a rotation and it doesn't matter what you do. You're going back in at two nights. Maybe he didn't approach it that way. Cause it looked, he looked like a goalie to me. Like, and flowers had moments like this throughout his career where he just he just tries to do too much and he becomes tense you see that you can you can see the tension in his game on the way he reacts on certain plays and you know that combination with the team being way looser than they typically are missing the personnel they were like it just went downhill the wrong way pretty quick yeah all right any other well then the king juxtaposing it with the kings right because they similarly had that See, rotation towards the end of the year. Yeah, and and, and that's one where I think Corpus is going to start every game for them. And and uh, we talked about this before. Like, you know, again, when I look at Flurry's numbers, as good as Gustafson was, and talked about it for a long time, Flurry's numbers down the stretch, right up to that last game, were sort of right there with them. So it wasn't as big a gap with the Kings. I always thought it would be Corpus because as much as Copley kept winning, the underlying numbers, the gap between the two, like Corpus was top in the league. And Copley was doing what he was doing with numbers that were just slightly below expected. And Corpy's playing at a top 10 level. Like, there was a bigger gap there. I did not expect that ro uh, to be a rotation that continued. The one that would have been fascinating, really fascinating, would have been Toronto if Matt Murray was healthy. But mm. we'll never know the answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cor and Corpus Allo, to be, to be fair, has been, I think, fantastic in these two games. Yeah. I think the, the last Costin shot 
I imagine he would probably like to have back. I haven't seen if, if there if it was tipped or anything by a no by a good shot. It was, I mean, it was a clear, it's, it's clear more, shot off the rush. It's it's I mean it's more if you look at it, it's not clear to his eyes. Right. Um. It cut, but I mean in terms of like not changing direction. See the release. Yeah. Like I said, Georgiev last night. Um, I think the shorthanded goal looks awkward because he's standing up and it goes by his glove. Right. Now, obviously, you're standing up and you're staying patient because as soon as that guy drops to block the shot, you know it can't go low. Like, it's not going through him, right? And he slid into that shot-blocking lane, so it's not going along the ice, so you know you have time to stay up and stay patient. But as soon as you can't see a release, like, so much of what a goaltender processes, I've talked to goalies at the NHL level over the years on this, like... It is, there's an element of tracking and just straight watching the puck, but there's also an element of anticipation. And as Ryan Miller once told me, like, if you don't know where it's headed before it's off the blade at certain ranges, you're done. Like, you got to be reacting before it leaves the blade. So if you remove the ability, whether it's Georgiev on that shot last night, uh, on the shorthanded goal, I think it was Brandon Tanev, well, or Corpus Allo, if you remove the ability to see the release, You've removed so much information that a goaltender relies on to know where that puck is going. Well, in Georgiev's defense on that one, I think he had no chance because the hockey gods willed that puck into the net because they knew that Brandon Tanev had that celebration lined up and was about to blow a kiss. And so I think that one was destined to happen. I did not see the blow. You didn't? I did not see. I was so focused on the... I was trying to... Actually, I was rewinding and so focused on the shot block to see why he handled it the way he handled it yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah no he, the, he went he went up blowing. against the boards and then i'm not about the celebrations man. i'm just about the goalies yeah you're just trying Don't to be see taunting what's us with with kiss blowing yeah um okay so do you want to we should talk about vasilevsky after he gave up what seven goals last night i was texting you about it during the game um certainly i think it was going to be an uphill battle with the defense score they were using and you could sort of see that i think part of what's made Vasilevsky so successful, particularly in these postseason settings. You know all the stats of in elimination games and when, when it's crunch time and in a playoff series, how he locks it down. I think not to discredit him in any way because I, I think he's like the most remarkable goalie I've I've seen since Hasek in terms of just what he can do physically and his athleticism and the saves he can make. His combination of athleticism and size in unison with. Tampa Bay's defensive system and the way they play in those settings where they they contest shots so aggressively and they really limit with their stick work your time and space to release it makes it almost impossible as a shooter to cleanly actually pick a spot or do something productive with that shot even when you get in a high danger area because you're getting it someone's on you quickly especially during the days of it was like McDonough, Chernak and Hedman one of those guys is always on you and then you just try to throw it on net, and all of a sudden you have the biggest goalie just blocking it. You watched last night, the Leafs had significantly more space, especially off the cycle and in the offensive zone. But I was noting when you watch the replays, like he like he was not even seeing the puck. In, in, my, in my sort of uh, opinion here as a, as a goalie analyst, when you watch the plays, like even on the saves he made, there was a flurry in the second period where he kept it at 3 nothing and kept Tampa Bay in it for a while after the saves you track his eyes and it was like he was almost surprised like it would hit him and then he would react a half second later and like and then look for the rebound and didn't even know where it was and that was very bizarre and I've seen that from him every once in a while and then he usually bounces back and plays remarkably well and stops everything so I'm not panicking in that regard especially if they are going to get a bit healthier on the blue line but I just thought it was notable seeing that because he looked like he didn't know where the puck was at any point in game two yeah no I mean I I don't know if I'm going that far, mm. um, but he's, he, I mean, 
there are sliding scales on goalies that rely on different things and and you know from visual every goalie relies on visuals but like on that sliding scale of visual to physical in terms of where the foundation is like the foundation of Vasilevsky is more more physical than visual mm. um I wouldn't call him a pure puck tracker frankly um but like it's not like he doesn't track the puck like like don't confuse the two right well we've all seen and the I, pictures I, where off face-offs his eyes are just like bulging and yeah but I mean, even in the way he does that like there there are like i mean your best vision isn't out of the bottom of your eyes right like right. it's binocular it's through the center and so um you know listen like last night was just i thought they did a really good job of just creating a ton of dynamic stuff in spots where you know i mean the one play from behind the net where they're banking it trying to bank it off him like he, he looked like you're right he didn't see it but he felt it like he knew like there's a i know but he was like sort of like it was a tough spot for him, but he was also yeah, like reaching rotate, around. You like can't, he was, you can't totally rotate. He was like kind of like was behind when end. you wake up in the middle of the night and you're looking for the light switch, and that, that was kind of like hit, hit the way he was reacting to it. Like I think that a lot of goalies would have come out the way the Leafs press and what yes. Tampa had in the back end and been you know more like the goalie from slap shot when you come into the room and he's just throwing the equipment <laughs> and yelling, you know, like, oh, like it's... and the pressure was relentless. Like, oh, yeah, no, I'm I'm not blaming yeah. him by any means. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I think. If he had been best goalie it, in the world, full stop. Period. Easy, easy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Over like Sturkin. Oh man, that's yeah. See, you know what? Because once again, by the end of the season this year, Vasilevsky was right there. Ahead yeah, of he was. Like, and it's that consistency, right? And like, I think Shosturkin gets there, but I think there were lessons he learned this season, and we can get into him in the playoffs. Like, um, I actually think. The, and I've had this conversation with people in New York that watch him. Like, I think actually you can measure, literally measure on the ice, mechanically and technically, what expectations did to Igor Shosturkin's season through the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. Now, the beauty is he figured it out in the last quarter. Yeah, his last 15 games were like pretty good. Beast mode, yeah. historical season Shosturkin, which is why that was one of the series where all the numbers, defensive metrics, line, even defensive metrics, lined up for New Jersey. And there's no way I was touching New Jersey on that one. Okay, let's. I want to talk more about Shesterkin in that series. Let's take a break here, and then uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that and plenty of other stuff. You're listening to the Hockeypedia cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. goalies as you'd expect let's 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 keep talking about just um and the series in particular because he's obviously been phenomenal again he's given up two goals in two games one in each of them one was a jack hughes penalty shot at the end of the game when i think they were up four nothing already the other was a power play goal by the devils in game two that kind of snuck through him and then eric Holla tapped it in rebound net front um but other than that he's locked it down now i will say the Devils so far in these two games have generated 51 shots five expected goals total according to natural statric and have scored zero of those zero goals at five on five um significantly well below their season averages and the remarkable thing is the rangers have held the lead for i believe 85 of those 120 minutes so far and the reason i'm citing that is because i think you typically expect that all right if a team like the rangers is up 
for a significant portion of time, they're going to be playing back with the lead, playing conservatively. The Devils should, at least in theory, be able to rack up a bunch of like empty calorie shots and make the totals look nicer than they have been, and they haven't even been able to do that. And I have a lot of issues with what they, what Lindy Ruff's done with their lineup, especially in Game 2. I think it's kind of a cautionary tale of panicking to quote-unquote playoff hockey and trying to overcorrect when you didn't necessarily need to. Um, but it's clear that, to Gerard Glantz's credit and the Rangers, they had a very clear and informed game plan heading into this series of how they wanted to defend the Devils, of what they needed to take away from them. And so far, to my eye, the Devils have had no real answer for how to break through that, how to carry, how to get the puck in, get it into dangerous areas, and actually Tesh Sturkin. So for as, as good as he's been, and it's been a carryover of the end of his regular season, it's also not like he's really been... You know, he hasn't been thrown into the fire here and been tested and been like standing on his head, stopping a million Jack Hughes and Jesper Bratt high danger chances. It's 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 been a pretty nice workload for him. Well, and I haven't I haven't had a chance to sort of, to be honest, uh, watch that one. Like it's a series I've just because of other work and it happening at the same time, haven't been able to watch as much. Um, I think Shishterkin's expected save percentage tells you uh, how how easy this workload has been. What's it been, What's it been through? It's nine eleven through two games. Yeah. Guess who the only one? Who, well, okay, the, the the other one that's high, one of the other ones that's higher is Philip Gustafson, by the way, at nine nineteen. Mm. Just for the record, I just throwing that out there. Um, well, and, and I, I said this. Yeah, I did a I did a twenty five minute thing or whatever on yesterday's show about this series. But in game one, the Stars took like thirty point shots at five on five. And then in game two, it went down to like five yeah. and they were like much more clear in their attack. Yeah. Like and that, so that environment that, changed. So like, for I, sure. like, listen, I am not excusing, like I said, two low, low danger goals on flurry. We've been over it. Yes. But that environment was very friendly in it, game one, right it, through five. Periods. It was a diff, diff, the only yeah. environment that's friendlier so far in the playoffs, frankly, is Stuart Skinner's, but we can get to that later. Yes. Um, Shesterkin's at nine eleven, way, way above what you'd expect. League average was eight eighty nine on the season. Um, so yeah, that speaks to your point about their inability to create. When I did, when I broke down Shesterkin, one of the things that surprised me, and I focused even on his hot stretch, because really, like if you're pre-scouting, what's the point of looking at when he was at his worst? You want to find if there's still holes when he's at his yes. best. And when I looked at the last 50 goals he gave up this season, like I was alarmed at how many were off low high plays. So mm-hmm. work below the goal line, move it out. It doesn't even have to be high in the zone. Even little pop passes to the bottom of the circle, uh, tendency to leave the backside behind when he rotates out of reverse. Um, getting caught moving forward and drifting a little bit on, on low high plays higher in the zone. Like at the end of the day, it was, there were, there were a couple little indicators, things he could still easily clean up, but it was a trend. Yeah. And I don't, I didn't watch this series enough to see how many times the devils have tried it, but I looked at the way the devils generate offense and I'm like, I don't know if typically this is going to be how they score or how they attack. And if this is one of the few sort of statistical, weakness trends we can mm. find in a dominant goalie you know does that match the the way the team that's trying to beat him would typically score and can they make that adjustment and so like i said i haven't watched enough to see how many they've attempted right um but yeah that's that's playing from below the goal line was one of the few things that seemed to generate offense when he was on a heater and i don't know that that suits the devil's strength or their tendencies wow i i don't think you need to rewatch the games to to get a, I think you've got a pretty good gist of of what's happening what's so happened. far. Yeah, it matches. Yeah, I mean, checks out. I, I don't have I don't have any faith in right now New Jersey's ability to diagnose the problem or prescribe whatever medicine or cure would help that. Um, like you like look, just kind of when you get dominated, you get dominated. Like well, no, but they lose game one, and it's clear that the Rangers are defending them in a certain way, right? But 
you just played 82 games where even if it's a bad stylistic matchup because of the way they're defending you. Stay with your strength. You, like, it made you so special. You were one of the best, most dominant teams in the regular season. After one game, they take out their top pair defenseman to bring in Brendan Smith, who takes a bunch of penalties. Of course, he takes one early in game two. They promote Miles Wood up the lineup, even though he's done nothing. He takes another dumb penalty that leads to a power play goal against. I mean, this Rangers power play, the way they're operating right now, like that's something where I would go back. and It's appointment viewing to go back and see how they're just picking them apart. The, the play with Fox doing the shot pass to the tip by Kreider is just like unbelievable. And it's just, it's got Vitek Vanacek right now, just, just, just tapping out. Um, but yeah, so uh, you watch the Devils play and it's like, all right, we just played 82 games of one way. After one game, we're going to try to change this now and play playoff hockey and get more physical. And it's like, yeah, well, that's not going to help your offense. And so sure enough, although it is interesting that you note that the, the low to high play in that way um, would be something to potentially look yeah, for. Yeah, and probably becomes more of something to focus on, assuming the Rangers move on and that there are, you know, the adjustments don't go back and don't work. Um, against teams that that can and typically do create more that way. I mean, what ten? You, you had the numbers early, like rush chances. Like, yeah. To me, those tend to go away the most in the playoffs by eye test. And I haven't vetted this by the numbers, but I would assume as things grind on, like teams just aren't as willing to. Well, I mean, you're not going to see as many careless mistakes that lead to rush chances against and teams are more likely to re although i'm watching seattle colorado is one i've watched the most and like the like the pace of that series yes. is unbelievable and if you're going to be that aggressive and that assertive offensively you're going to open your up to yourself up to exposure the other way well so. but the surprising thing to me there is it goes against what i the point i was going to make was in that situation the kraken were actually up to nothing early right and you would think that would be a situation where you could sort of sit back. Uh, not well, and they're not they're not programmed to sit back the way they play, right? So, so maybe yeah, that so exposes exactly. them a so, little bit. But you'd think like taking fewer chances because the as we keep bringing this back to the Gustus and Flurry thing and how the game environment changed from game one to game two, the stars go up early, right? And they have a couple goal lead, and then you could see that the Wild were like pushing for offense, really trying to to get out on the move a little bit, and of course that backfires, and the stars get a bunch of great rush opportunities themselves. I mean, the the goal that I think Dodonov scored or whoever, it was like a three-on-one, right? And Flurry makes the great first save and then off the rebound. It's like, that's an impossible situation for a goalie. And that's because of the way the Wild were playing it, which was wildly di- wildly different from Hard what they did the in, in game one. Um, so with the Kraken Avs series, though, it, it was surprising to see that, that in game two, the Avs were able to break through. And maybe that's just a testament to like... The star sure. power they have and also the overwhelming, if they lock in that way, the gear they can hit is still almost unparalleled. Their ability to keep doing that and replicating it is a different question, though. That I was just going to say. Yeah. Because one thing I, I, I think... As we're both going to be in the building for game three. Right? Yeah, I think so. we can agree on. Like, the one thing that won't be difficult to replicate, because this is what they've done all year. Like, Seattle's going to keep doing it, right? And, like, so you have to... Like, like they're not going to change how they play. As you noted, they didn't change how they were playing even up to after after the first period in yep. game two. Like, that's the identity. And their depth and their speed allows them to just keep bringing that and bringing that. And it can work for a while. But, man, like, like you can't breathe. You can't take a breath. You can't relax for a second on the other end of that. Or you're going to give up chances to it. And the reality is they've all got a lot of good finishers right throughout the lineup, like yep. the Tolvanins of the world, 
um, you know, his his goal to open this series for Seattle Kraken playoff goal in history. Yeah. I think what get lo- like the forecheck pressure forces the turnover by Taves and Tolvin and pounces on the rebound. But holy crap, that first save by Georgiev was that was yes. a thing of beauty on that blocker. And the puck just bounces right to Tolvin right. and he picks it out of the air off the bounce. Like, um, you're gonna that's a team that finishes, right? Like, and so I'm fascinated to see how this one goes in but three and four. We also can't be like I, it can't be hypocritical because I always get mad when I see teams change the way they're playing if they're up, and then you know it's safe, no. I, safe. I'm appla- we're applauding, of course. It, yeah, no, no, no. What I'm, what I'm saying is like away. safe as death. All of a sudden, you you change the way you play. It's like no. This is why you went up to nothing in the first place. You need to keep playing that way. I'm just saying that rush chances do. I think I think there's going to be an unfortunate takeaway of this Rangers Devils series, which is like, aha, see this Devils way of playing in the regular season doesn't work in the playoffs. And I, I, I disagree with that because they play a very similar way to the way we just saw Colorado win a Stanley cup doing it. Just the, th- the difference is Colorado was ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, their players being in their primes and just having a slightly better team and being able to do it that way. I don't think this is a sign that you can't play as a rush team in the regular season because, you're still going to get opportunities. The problem for the for the Devils is they've been playing from behind for the most of this series, and the Rangers have it, it's it's been perfect for the Rangers the way they want to play it, right? Yeah, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, is what you're saying. Exactly. So I I just I just wanted to sort of differentiate between those two things. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about? We got to get back to goaltending. Well, do you want to do Allmark and 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 the, and the Bruins? Because I think it's very jarring to see what happened in Game Two because it had happened so infrequently throughout the regular right. season, right? Um, I will say, Sport Logic has Florida with 17 inner slot shots through two games uh, that all marks faced all of. Jake Ottinger's faced 20 so far in his two games. He played like two extra periods in that game one. No one else has more than like 14 or 15 so far. And obviously not having Patrice Bergeron is certainly a big factor in that, right? But you also watch some of the defensive zone turnovers and and the positions they've put Allmark in it's been very uncharacteristic to the play they wait the way they play in the regular season and credit to Florida's pressure and forecheck which we anticipated heading in um but beyond the two Montour goals which were like two of the of the rare clean shots that I mentioned earlier where it was like kind of like a point shot that really should have been stopped it didn't change direction you could probably see it it wasn't I don't think the first one he could see off the release all right but I think for the most part like that's some that's the Vesna, yeah, no. the Vesna winner should probably stop that from Second distance, one, yeah. right? Second of course. One, but, but, yeah. you know, again, we talk about yes. releases and yeah, eyes. Yeah. And, and well, interestingly enough on the Elmark thing, like, you know, we talked about this recoil and this slight drip that he has in his game on purpose. And like in both those cases, like literally, because as soon as I wrote about that, like and now every time a goal goes in because he's got a little drip, I get goalie coaches that see this doesn't work. <laughs> um, I'm like 938 save percentage in the regular season. It might. Yeah. Um, so in both those cases, maybe there's actually I think throughout, and maybe this is because of the quality they were generated. There almost seemed to be, you know, that drift for him on those types of point shots is normally very subtle, and it felt like there was it was more of a retreat than a recoil at times. And the blocker one missed by fractions of inches, where I think you know goalie coaches around the league would argue if he's holding his ground, it hits the blocker. Um, and on the glove side one, he ends up reaching. So. I mean, that will be something that's going to be really interesting to watch because of a very specific trend with this goaltender and how he plays and all the success he's had. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people lining up to say, hey, look, it's not working. They're targeting it and having success. And in, a, in the case of at least one of those Montour goals, I would not disagree. So, you know, from a goaltending standpoint, this one's fascinating. 
at the same time, as you said, like Florida is creating chaos yeah. and chances in front of him that he hasn't seen all year. And to the point where, despite how these two games are, because the one thing that I think gets overlooked is he was really good in the first game. He was, yeah. Really good yeah. in the first yeah, game. Yeah, Florida had opportunities for sure. They did. Yeah. And it, and the irony to me is a lot of the elements we just talked about in terms of the way he plays, there were there were chances there that I thought he got to. A, you could argue whether they were the degree of difficulty, but he got to them more, whether he doesn't get to them the other way or not, but he got to them more easily because of this, this little bit of recoil in his game. So um, despite giving up all those goals in game two, he's still just a slight hair below expected by Clearside analytics. So right. again, the Vesna winner, like you're expecting him to be well above, but like other teams, other goalies that have had games where that many goals have gone in are like way below expected. Mm. He's not right now, which I think tells you matches what you're talking about in terms of just how much Florida generated in game two. Well, and probably how much they generated in game one and got overlooked yes. his performance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Both of all, both the quantity and the quality, I should say. And on the other end, uh, Alex Lyon's been good beyond the one sort of Brad Marchand Rister in game one that – that was an equipment failure. <laughs> was it? That was an equipment failure. It was honestly, honest to God. Like, I, I, it's funny. Like, I sent a screen cap to uh, a couple of guys, and like, literally. Now, listen, you're in the National Hockey League. It's the top of the circles. Catch it perfectly in the middle of the pocket. Um, it hits his glove, and essentially the pocket collapses, and it goes right through. I've got a screen cap where it looks like it's heading right into the edge of the glove. It hits the edge. And instead of that edge holding, the whole pocket of that glove collapses and it trickles into the net. Like literally, I have a picture where the puck looks like it's going through the glove because that that webbing isn't reinforced enough. And a lot of goalies like it because if, if they have that webbing soft at the top, uh, the top edge of the pocket, you can get it reinforced. But goalies feel like they can't open it as wide and mm -hmm. present it as big that right. way. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons Jack Campbell's on his third different brand of gloves this year because the first two he had this happen to him a couple times, both the Vaughn and the Bryant's glove. Um, it happened to him and he, and he, and he ended up switching to a, a Bauer late in the season. And like, so yeah, like part of me is like, Hey, catch it in the middle of the pocket. It's a clean shot from, from the top of the face off circle. But part of me is also like, like your equipment gives you a margin for error. His didn't give him one there. And he was not off by as bad as that looked literally have a screen cap of that thing looking like it's going right through the glove. We should, we should do the good man. He's his, like, we should do like a video series of me finding goals where, People would say, "Oh, the goalie should have had that one," and then and then you giving us a reason as a as a card carrying member of the goalie yeah, union right. why it's like see the release actually couldn't this, let him down. Yeah, this was the manufacturer's fault. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I I I hear what you're saying. Amazingly enough, it wasn't the freakiest goal he's given up from a freak occurrence perspective because the one the right after like sitting on the, sitting on sitting his on pad, the pad and yeah, then a tough break. and then not only that but then I think it was Jake DeBrus coming in and cleanly knocking it off the pad while diving yes. like because if he pushes the pad or something and then there, there might be a conversation about you mean like Tampa did in the first game but it was just Toronto? absolutely clean right off the pad and I'm like wow I've I don't think I've ever seen that no, before. That's, so that's tough luck. He's um, been really good. Like Alex Lyon is like, I think you're seeing why he's playing ahead of a $10 million starter. Like he got them into the playoffs. He's played. It's funny because his, his numbers to get them into the playoffs weren't crazy, which you could look at that as two ways. It's like, okay, this isn't, this isn't, it's, it isn't as nuts this run he's on as maybe the raw numbers suggest, but also maybe it's not as unsustainable. Right. You know what I mean? Because you're not having the, like, he's not like plus 4% down the stretch to get them in the playoffs. He's, he's under one. Right. And so that also tells you that, it, you know, like he, 
he just needs to continue doing what he's doing. He doesn't have to play out of his mind. He's made some saves on two on ones. Where, well, his lateral movement has been fantastic, and he's way aggressive too. Like he's well outside the blue when he makes that initial push, and he's just got the edge control to get there. But you know what? All the, pretty much every single one of those two on ones that he saved, and there was like a, a number of them back to back to back in game one. The fact that the Bruins were looking past the entire way and never once sold shot with eyes or hands. Well, no, I was going to say it made me think of your point about every single one of those shots was basically like shot right into the middle of the net. Well, and so you, just just being you, there stopped it. Well, and you don't expect the goalie to get there like yes. that. Like, hey, listen, like they're, at least they're not along the ice. Right. But a lot of guys think, hey, on a two, he's not going to get there. I'm going to hammer this along the ice. And yeah. all goalies get at least, well, you have to be pretty stranded not to get a pad across. And when I look at his positioning and his depth, I'd be like, yeah, I wonder if he can. You know, the further out you are on the initial guy, the More further you have to yeah. go to get to the other guy. And I'm like, I would look at that and I'd be like, we are passing 100% of the time on two-on-ones. Look at this aggression. He's not going to be able to get across. And he does. Like, that's a credit to him. But also, every time I looked at it, it's like, when we talk about reads, I'm like, can you guys, like, telegraph this a little less? I'm right. like, that's a pass. Pass is coming. Like not, like, not looking up at where he is. Like looking to, like just not selling shot at all. Like, yeah. And again, like deception matters as much as I talk about cross ice, but at the same time, like, oh crap, like let's give him credit here. Those are some five alarmers. Yeah. No, they were. He's been really good. Um, yeah. Two of the clean goals that I have so far are the ones we talked about earlier in the season. One Ryan, and, and it was two defensive defensemen and Ryan Lindgren and, uh, and Jacob Slavin scoring from the goal line. Sh- right. shooting shooting a bank it off the goalie's head. Yeah, so um trying to think of the two ones on Sorokin. Yep. Uh and that one I don't mind reverse because he's actually below the goal line. Lindgren's like he's below the goal line when he shoots. He was Slavin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, It was Slavin on Sorokin. On Sor- yeah, That Sorokin. one was below yeah, the yeah, goal yeah. line. Yeah. Um yeah. Lindgren was a bit higher in the zone. And so Yeah, it was a, that I mean, it was a great shot. That one's not picking the wrong save selection. That one's a just a poor execution of the save selection. Like the whole point of reverse in that situation is you're in the net. Yeah. So if a pass gets through, you're taking up the net. Like you're, you're not giving away the net. We saw actually, you know, Elliot Friedman on the hockey net broadcast talked about him. Samsona being out of the net and he is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, being in a reverse allows you to have most of your body in the net. So if that play does get through on a low slot line pass from below the goal line, like you've got coverage, you've got coverage built in. You got the bottom of the ice sealed away. You've got you're loaded on the post to push across to take away a backdoor. I don't understand. I guess I do. Like he drops the blocker to get his stick on the ice, probably to cut off a pass. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, he exposes himself to that bank shot. And I just think that your priority there is to seal the short side post, and you you create exposure there and trying to take away a pass when the whole reverse VH decision is to equip yourself to handle that pass if it gets through. Right. And so by dropping that blocker to the ice, you pull your body outside and forward to the net and give yourself an opportunity to be exposed on a bank shot. And I just, to me, I want to seal short side there. And, well, and, and that, that sort of paddle down technique takes that away. Well, don't you think the part of the problem is that in theory, the save selection should be predicated on the probability of what the most likely shot selection or play selection will be from the person with the puck 
Well, the, the, okay. it feels like this shot but is in, becoming more common, though, right? Well, but that, yeah, and in that case, like the most likely play, like, I feel probably, like you should be playing for that. Ah, uh, but in the most likely play, probably when you're talking about a defensive defenseman yeah, that's too. True. Like, what have we talked about? What's right. got what's gone up the most? What yeah, creates yeah. the most yeah, offense right. now? Yeah, it's yeah. it's funneling that through the from from low angles through the low slot area. And if I'm not mistaken, because the freeze frame you sent me, it was hard to tell, but it looks like there's a backside net drive. Like somebody's mm-hmm. headed to the right. net, either middle or backside. So I understand the idea of cutting off the pass. I just, I just think it's a redundancy in this case for Sorokin that leaves him exposed to something else. Like is a defenseman, def- defensive defenseman picking that spot, or is he probably funneling that through the middle? If I'm going on probability, right. yeah, he's yeah, probably yeah. trying to funnel that out front. And that's what Sorokin was trying to cut off. But at the end of the day, like I'm not defending – I'm, I, reverse is a reverse VH is a fine decision there. It was mm. just a poor execution in my in my mind. I think Jacob Slavin won the uh, All Star All Star event like accuracy competition once upon a time. So there you go. It should be in the maybe, maybe yeah. <laughs> there we go. Now it's on tape. Um, so act accordingly. All right, Kevin. This was a blast. I'll let you uh, before we sign out here. Let the listeners know where they can check you out. What you got working on? Are you gonna do the round two previews? You're, you're saying you you don't have enough time, or you or you will? I, I think I, uh, the plan is to do them. Um, I may be doing them from the hotel room in Seattle yep. if some of these series start to end and if Seattle extends it to six. So um, that was sort of the, the the catch here is now I'm helping with NHL.com coverage in Seattle. Um, so that leaves even less time in a project. It takes a lot of time, but I think I'm far enough ahead that we'll have them. So NHL.com, I think you can be able to check that out starting the second round. We'll, we'll take a look at exactly how goals go in on goalies and some of the trends that you might be able to look for moving forward, how to attack certain guys. Uh, it's a project we used to do from round one, but like I said, it's it's a massive undertaking. It also, it's one of those things where when you do it from round one and there's 16 goalies broken down, especially when like how many series... I actually think I had Wright who was going to start in every single one, but there were questions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you can't do all the goalies. And like, if you think of bandwidth, even though it's the internet, like people aren't reading like yes. all 16 goalies in a two day stretch between the start, the end of the season and the start of the playoffs. Well, just wait till everyone's doing goalie rotations and then you're going to have to preview 32 goalies. Yeah. It would pretty much be the end of that. Because <laughs> uh, I get paid by the story, not by how many goalies I track. So that's right. Uh, and at Kevin is in goal. At Kevin Twitter, is in goal. And, and then obviously if you're a goalie uh, in goalmag.com, you know, we, you heard us talking about recoil. Um, got a couple articles out with actually Linus Allmark reviewing video of some of his saves and some of the reads that go into it. We've got Thatcher Demko on there explaining. Actually, funny enough, I feel like i got to post a new Thatcher Demko pro reads at ingolmag.com right away because of all these questions that the failed reverse has generated. And one of the discussions we had when him and I sat down to do video this year were all these saves that he makes only because he's using a reverse, even in situations where some people might argue he should be back up to his feet. And then that low slot line play funnels through, and he's like, I don't get there if I'm not executing in a reverse here. And so, um, listen, there are times it fails and it needs to be called out. There's times when it's used poorly. Everybody says reverse VH fail. I say failed reverse VH quite Mm. often. And understanding the difference between the two matters. If you're a goalie, we have actual NHL goalies explaining when and how and why and how best to use it. Awesome. Well, looking forward to that. Uh, If you do the round two preview, we're going to have you back on to deep dive it here on the PDO cast. We do it on the car on the way back from Seattle. Oh. You're going to be down there too, right? Yeah, we could. We could. Well, we'll talk about it. Um, thank you to everyone for listening to the show. If you enjoyed what you heard, go smash that five-star button wherever you listen to the podcast. And we'll be back Monday with plenty more of the Hockey PDO cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.